Let's listen to the very challenging words from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 24. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Tom, would you like to come up? Let me pray for you. Father God, as our brother Tom has been pondering these words for quite some time, we just thank you that you are going to speak through him to us and that you will help us to take it in and live it out. In your mighty name, bless Tom now. Amen. Amen. There's lots of different kinds of Christians. I learned this as a young person. One of the uh, biggest um, youth sessions that I remember was, was looking at the different kinds of Christians that there are in the world. We've got the custard Christian. Not for everyone, sometimes a bit lumpy, but in the right place and the right situation, exactly what's needed. You've got the Christian that's a trifle. Everything's a trifle. Everything's a problem. There's always something going on. And it's all one big mix. And again, no one can agree. Trifle good, trifle bad. Chocolate trifle, fruit trifle, who knows? But the one that I remember the most of all the different kinds of Christian was the Colgate Christian. Other brands are available. We're not sponsored. But the Colgate Christian. Now, the Colgate Christian is a Christian who is always, 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 always smiling. Always. Big grin. All the time. And you might think that we want to be Colgate Christians, because what's better than a smile? But the truth of the Colgate Christian is that although they are always smiling, they're also not admitting when things aren't so great. They're the kind of Christian that comes to church. Oh, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm all good. Even though the most terrible things can be happening in the background. Start of this passage. Rejoice always. That's what it says. Rejoice always. There's not many verses in the Bible that are only two words. Jesus wept is said to be the shortest verse in the Bible. That's because the Greek version is really short. Because this is only two words. Rejoice always. What about when a loved one dies? What challenging verse for us at the moment. As we pray for Mark's family. Should they be rejoicing? Should they be skipping and happy and smiling? I would suggest that there might be some sadness in the reality of what they're facing. Do we as a family 
rejoice having lost Alistair? As a church, should we all be rejoicing? No, there are moments for sadness. There's a time for sadness. Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything. And the sadness is included in that. So why does Paul say in this letter to a church, rejoice always? The clue comes from actually what comes before this verse. Because what Paul is doing is he's actually talking to an entire church and he's talking about worship. He's talking about the gathering of Christians together to hold church. He's not talking about a kind of daily walk. He's talking about worshipping God. And uh, all of the kind of instructions that come out of this passage, they're all written in the plural, which means he's not addressing one individual, but he is addressing a body of people. As a whole, rejoice. As a whole, do not quench the spirit. As a whole, pray continually when you gather together as disciples of Christ, holding what today we would call church. When Paul says rejoice always, he's not saying be happy all the time. He's saying that we need to be worshipping God, giving him the glory and the honour, recognising that he is sovereign and in control, accepting that there is sadness, accepting that sometimes there are questions we do not get the answer to, but nonetheless rejoicing in him. It is incredibly sad when we lose a member of the fellowship. But there is a hope when we lose a member of the fellowship. And that hope is that they are in Christ. And maybe it will be later on, maybe it's already, who knows. But Mark's going to be rejoicing in heaven today. He's going to be free of all of his sufferings, the pain the discomfort, the frustration at his situation. He's free of all of that. He's going to be dancing in the presence of the Lord, having the time of his life, reading him his poems, telling him all the jokes that he used to share with the PBC men's group. Right? He's going to be telling the Lord all of these jokes, and Jesus is going to be there laughing with him, and it's going to be a party. We are sad for what is happening with our brother, But we can also, at the same time, rejoice, because we know where he's going. Uh, A number of years ago, a a good friend of mine lost his dad very quickly and unexpectedly, um, uh, possibly through a medical failing. Um, And it was was a huge, huge, like, gut-wrenching moment. And I went to the funeral to support him, and his family have no faith um, at all. Uh, my friend has, has no, no faith. They don't believe in God um, or any kind of form of Christianity or anything like that. And the, the tone of the entire thing compared to recent Thanksgivings that I've been to was one of hopelessness, despair and emptiness. Because what hope did they have? They didn't believe in heaven. They didn't believe in any of it. They were literally there mourning the loss of someone with with not even a glimmer of hope. 
at Alistair's cremation, it was difficult. It was sad. And yet when the final hymn played, something went horrifically wrong with the final verse and we all ended up laughing and couldn't sing the final verse of In Christ Alone. It was a mess. And we were laughing and crying all at the same time. There was a, a, a glimmer, just a glimmer of hope and joy. Rejoice always in the Lord as a congregation together. Pray continually to the Lord as a together. Everything we do in this church is grounded in prayer. We're really good at this. Okay, let's, let's, let's give ourselves a pat on the back here. As a church, we are really good at this. Before the service starts, there is a prayer meeting. During the week, there are multiple prayer meetings. Okay, when we, when we sing the songs at the end of church, we've got a prayer team that's ready to go for any requests that come up. In our service plan, every single week, without failure, we have a time dedicated to some form of intercessory prayer. We are, we are soaking this church in prayer, and it is fantastic. It's exactly what we should be doing. Pray continually. Everything that we do, pray continually. Now, that doesn't mean that we are constantly having a conversation with God directly in our heads because we'll end up, if you're like me, forgetting all the stuff you're supposed to remember or getting distracted by, I don't know, Screaming Child, for example, um, who's actually playing really nicely at the moment and we're just going to keep it that way. Don't rock the boat. Uh, But it's not saying we need to consistently, over and over and over, be praying in our heads. It's talking about, as a congregation, everything gets grounded in prayer. When you gather together... Pray continually. Make sure that what you do has prayer. As I said, good news. As a church, we're fantastic at this. Genuinely, I'm not just saying it. We are fantastic at this. Pray continually. So, uh, first two verses, take the pressure off yourselves a little bit. Because it's not saying to you, the individual Christian, you must be happy all the time, rejoice all the time. You must be praying all the time, pray all the time. That's not what Paul's getting at here. He's talking to an assembly of people, the gathering of the church when they come together to worship. Which then helps with the next verse, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And that is a challenge. Be thankful in everything. What, thankful when I've lost my job? Thankful when a family member has disowned me? Thankful when I'm in agony? That's really difficult. And that is what Paul is effectively saying. Give thanks to God because God is worthy of your thanks. And sometimes that is really, really difficult. Be thankful in all things, continually. In all circumstances, because that's God's will for us. In Christ Jesus. We're not supposed to do it on our own. Again, this is to an entire church talking about their worship together. And Paul specifies this is in Christ Jesus. You're not on your own. 
in this as a church. So we are thankful continually together. We find things to be thankful for. Not because we're trying to be fake. We're not trying to be the Colgate Christian. But because we know that God is good. We know that the plans that God has for us are to prosper us, not to harm us. We know that in all things... God works for the good of those that love him and are called to his purposes. These are all quotes from the Bible. All promises that God has made to his people. We are not on our own. Paul then goes on to talk a little bit about order in worship. Paul's got a big thing about order in worship. Have a look at Corinthians and see what he says about about the disorderly um, in, in times of worship and gathering. Do not quench the spirit do not treat prophecies with contempt but test them all hold on to what is good reject every kind of evil the word quench here when we hear the word quench we think fire or at least i do don't don't quench the fire and that is absolutely a correct way of looking at this but the word that paul uses actually has two meanings one is quench a fire the other one is quenching light covering up light, getting rid of it, putting the candle out, getting rid of the light bulb, binning it. Probably not a light bulb back in the day, but you get, you get the picture. Um, and whatever way we look at it, it's the same thing. Do not get in the way of the Spirit's work. Don't do it. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not put out the fire. Do not cover the light, because it's really important. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Pretty simple. When someone delivers a prophecy, do not immediately cast it away. Do not hate it. Do not look upon it with fear or anger. But do test every single prophecy. And again, Paul talks about this in, I think it's Corinthians, 1 Corinthians again, where he talks about testing uh, words of God and prophecies. Um, And there's a lot of talk that goes on about what does this Bible verse actually mean? And there's a lot of talk about do we have prophecies today? Is that a gift that's available to us as Christians today or was that only for the apostles back in the building of the church? I wholeheartedly believe that this is for us today. I believe that God does still speak directly to his people. I believe that God does give people words of knowledge, insight into situations that they wouldn't otherwise have. I do believe that God does sometimes reveal what will happen in the future to people through vision, words, or even hearing the voice of God. I personally believe that. And I believe that's the stance of the church as well. God is active today. The gifts of the Spirit are as relevant today as they were back then. There is a minor difference in that back then, not only were people receiving prophecies, but they were actually receiving the word of God. Paul's writing these letters, and God is speaking into Paul through these letters so that one day they can be put into the Bible. Okay, And the process by which that happened is a very interesting one, um, one that you can study and look at. But we're just going to move on because we don't want to be too uh, academic this morning. Um, But uh, if you want to know how it was put together, come have a chat with me. But we still have prophecies today. 
We don't write them down as the word of God as if they were adding to the Bible because we'd be forever adding to the Bible, which is not a good idea. But we do get prophecies and we don't treat them with contempt, but we do test every single one of them. Why? Sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes people actually pretend to be prophets, if we can use that word. They pretend to get words from God in order to further their own selfish gain. Or even they believe they're hearing from God, but actually they're not a dedicated Christian and perhaps they are hearing from another spiritual source, the devil and his agents. So we test prophecies. We put them to a test. The first test is... Is the person delivering the prophecy a Christian? Are they dedicated to God? Have they given their life to God? Because if a person is delivering a prophecy, speaking into your life with a kind of insight that they shouldn't have or telling you they've had a vision and they've seen the future, but they are not a child of God, they are not covered by the blood of the Lamb, they are not filled with the Holy Spirit, where's that prophecy coming from? It can't be a good place. So are they a Christian? That's a relatively simple one we'll go with, we'll say. Relatively simple one. Then the next one is, does it line up with God's word? God will never speak counter to his word. Every single prophecy, every single word that comes from God to his people must line up with the Bible. God is not going to contradict his own word. So if someone delivers you a prophecy and you're like, that does not sound right, and you go and you look up some Bible verses around that topic and what you've been told was a word from God is completely counter to what's in the Bible, cast it aside. It was not a word from God because God will not go counter to his own word. He will not do it. Pray about the prophecy or the word of God. Pray about it. God, someone said this to me. Is this from you? How can I know that it's from you, God? Maybe you create a test, especially if the prophecy is a quite significant one about something coming up. Maybe you do what Jacob did and lay out a fleece of some description. God, if this is from you, I'm not testing you. I'm looking for a confirmation. If that's from you, then let this be true. The number of people I know who have been given um, words uh, from people who have prayed for them and they've gone, okay, well, I, I need to test it. And they've, they've come up with a ludicrous test for God. And God's gone, bam, done it in an instant. And then they've gone on to amazing things because they've trusted in that word that's delivered to them. The number of people that I know that that's happened to, it's happened to me as well. So we can put out a little test. We test our prophecies. Elsewhere in the Bible, Paul talks about in worship, when you have a word from God, you bring it to the elders before you bring it to the assembly. What does that look like today? It means popping over to one of the elders, or ideally Dan, if he's available, and saying, hey, I think I've got something. Can I share it? Claire did it last week. I was at the back, so I can see everything. And when Claire came up to share about the, the church that she'd contacted and what was going on with them, she checked with Dan first. 
Okay, that's a biblical act. It's an instruction. Check it with the elders or with the, you know, with the pastor um, first. Absolutely. And then deliver it and be confident. But then as a congregation, we test it. We pray about it. We check what's in the Bible. I went to a church where um, there was a lot of people who were uh, gifted in um, prophecy and sometimes they would pray for you and then they would say something that literally they could not have possibly known by any worldly means whatsoever. Or they would say, I think this is going to happen or God's going to do something like this and then you see it happen five days later and again, there's no way that that could have happened by any earthly means. Um, but but the, the, the problem with them was when I would say to them, thank you very much for that, I'm going to go and pray about it now, is they got really annoyed that I was sort of saying, look, I need to test that. But it's in the Bible. It's written right here. Go and test them. Prophecy is incredible. If anybody's ever experienced this, where someone's come along and said something that has turned out to be true shortly after... Or has gone and said something that has just dug right down to the core of an issue that they're facing. It's an incredible and uplifting moment. If you think that there is a word from God given to you for someone, go and tell them. Please. Be brave. Step out. Because now they've listened to this sermon, they're going to go and test it anyway. So, you know, don't worry too much about being wrong because they'll be doing this and it'll be all right. Yeah, it's all going to be good. It's, good. it's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. But again, the number of times that I've had a feeling, oh, maybe I should say this to someone. And I've been umming and ahhing and umming and ahhing. And eventually I, I, I tentatively go over to them and I say, I, I think God might have said something. So I'm going to tell you and then you need to go away and you need to pray about it and you need to think about it. And I've said it and they've gone, wow. That's exactly what I needed to hear. You have no idea how, how on the ball that is. And that's not come from my wisdom. It's come from God. And then not only is that uplifting for them, but it's uplifting for you. Because you did hear it. You got it right. Well done. Prophecy is amazing. We don't quench the spirit here. We don't push down and say, no... Absolutely not. When people are worshipping in this church, we don't turn to them and we say, your way of worship is wrong. Stop it. Personally, I'm not a flag man. But when Daft grabs the flags and runs around the church, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. And it's really encouraging. I won't do it. It's not me. But it is a form of worship, and it's great. And Dave's chuckling to himself. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what that means, but they can talk about that later as a married couple. We'll pray for Dave um, as well. But, uh, you know, we don't quench the spirit. We don't, we don't push down. Am I saying that we, every single thing that someone does that they say is worship is a good idea? No, sometimes there are things that actually we might say, hang on a minute, what does God's word say about that? God's word says, mm, not such a good idea. But generally speaking, when it's a spiritual act of worship, we don't quench it. We encourage it. We encourage it and we let it encourage us as well. So we're testing these words. We're testing the spirit, holding on to what is good and rejecting every kind of evil. Okay. And again, this is the way this is written, the sentence structure, the grammar, all of that 
super, super academic stuff where people read in Old Testament, uh, New Testament Greek and I can't do it. All of that suggests that Paul is literally addressing the whole issue of prophecies. We hold on to the prophecies that are good. We reject the ones that are evil. Because when someone delivers a word from God, or what they say is a word from God, and it's not, it can be really damaging. It can be really damaging. Uh, The the most poignant thing that I can remember when this happened to me was uh, I was playing drums at a worship event um, at, uh, at Moreland's College, and um, we'd gone through and we practiced, we were doing a number of songs and it was all really upbeat and, and amazing and I got completely, when I, when I drum, you have no idea, okay, like how much I'm holding back on that kit, believe it or not, but when I can let go and let loose, it's something else entirely and I was in that moment in the spirit playing drums at this event and just loving it and just giving it my all. And someone decided that they had a word from God for me. And their word from God was to come up from the front, sit next to me, and say, God's saying it's not a performance. It's not a performance. And then they walked back to their chair. And it completely floored me. And then when we got to the final song, because that was the penultimate song, we got to the final song, and I held it back. I really held it back. And the worship leader afterwards, incredible worship leader, um, said, oh, thank you so much for playing. You were brilliant. But what happened in the last song? It's like you lost, you just lost the drive. I didn't tell him what happened because the person that did it was a friend and I wasn't going to do that. But his word from God quenched my spirit. His word from God quenched my act of worship. And, and, and in such a significant way that other people notice the effect. That doesn't mean I get to play drums as hard and as loud as I want to, but it just, it just ruined the rest of the evening, and it, and it tarred the rest of the evening for me as well. And it really, I had to wrestle with this idea, am I, am I just performative? Am I doing things because I want to show off or because I'm worshipping God? And it took me a long time A long time to work through that. And eventually I worked through it and I realised, no, that's not encouraging. When David danced before the Lord, he took all his clothes off to the point where his wife... No, 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 it's not happening, it's fine. It's going out on YouTube and there are rules about that Um, for a start. But when David danced before the Lord, he took all his clothes off when he was celebrating the fact that they had recovered the Ark of the Covenant to the point where his wife was embarrassed, okay? So if David's allowed to do that, I think that occasionally I might be allowed to twiddle a drumstick. I might occasionally be allowed to do a little bit of a flourish or a flare on the drums because I'm worshipping God. I'm using that talent that he's given me. And it took me a really long time to get to that point of taking that word pushing it aside and saying, actually, I am rejecting that. Because that word was not good. That word was a a, a spirit quencher. It's okay to reject what someone says is a word from God. If you look at scripture and you speak with God, and the answer you get back is, not quite. 
not quite. You don't necessarily have to go up to the person that gave you the word and say, you were wrong, because you might then quench their spirit. (laughs) It's a complicated world being a Christian. We ground everything in him. And then Paul finishes with this sort of um, almost like uh, prayer for the church. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's praying for that church. Let the God of peace sanctify you, make you clean, make you holy. Finish the work that he has started in you. May he keep you blameless so that when he comes again, He does not see sin. He sees you, a complete, whole human being, fixed by the saving work of Jesus Christ. And then a promise. And this is where I want to finish. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. There is no question here. He is faithful faithful he will do it he will sanctify you he will make you blameless before god when jesus comes again your sin is forgiven it's exactly as sam shared earlier when jesus was nailed onto that cross we were nailed onto that cross with him paul says it i was crucified with christ what Paul writes our sin was nailed onto that cross the moment that Jesus said my God my God why have you forsaken me because God turns his back on him is the moment that our sin went onto the one who was sinless and for the first time in Jesus's earthly life he experienced separation from the father as sin got in the way He will do it. He has done it. He is faithful. That is a promise that is throughout the Bible. God is faithful. He never fails. He never gives up. He doesn't give up on you. He is faithful. What he promises, he will do. It's definitely a challenging passage, but God promises to be with us in it all. He's faithful. He's not going to let you down. He's also quite big and strong, and he knows everything that's going on in your head. So sometimes we're going to have questions for God, and we're going to be angry with God, and we're going to be upset with God. And we can, we can kind of take this view of, no, no, I've got to, I've got to risk, God is sovereign, I've got to worship God, you know, I, I won't do it. But God already knows that we're holding those feelings in. So my encouragement this morning as well is, as we try and rejoice always, as we try and pray continually and give thanks to God in everything, if there's something that you're upset about, just tell God and be honest with him, because he already knows anyway. He's pretty big. He can take it. That was the advice that was given to me when I spoke to, um, I spoke to a Christian friend about what had happened with Alistair. 
This might not come as a surprise to you. It might be surprising that I'm about to say it out loud. I was, and to an extent still am, angry. Why wouldn't I be? I'm a human being, and I don't understand. And sometimes I'm really angry with God. And I was holding that in for a really long time. And the build-up to everything, and, and afterwards I was holding, holding that in big time. Until I went, okay, you know this, God, but I'm angry with you. And God went, okay, come here. It's all right. It's all good. The God of peace will sanctify us through and through and make us blameless. He is faithful. He will do it. I don't really have a, a, a wrap-up for this other than that. God is faithful. He will do what he's promised. As a church, we continue to rejoice in him. As a church, we continue to pray together about everything that we are doing and everything that we are seeing. And we are thankful to God. Even in circumstances where we do not understand, we find the things to be thankful for. There's stuff happening in this church that's incredible. There's been a, 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 an atmosphere of God's spirit working, building to something. And we're not going to quench that fire. We're not going to hide that light. We're going to pray into it and we're going to see God do amazing things in Pembury. He's faithful. He will do it. pray Father God I thank you that you are faithful you're the faithful one you never change you are constant you never give up God you love us unconditionally and you are good Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you that you sanctify us as Christians. That when we come to you with our sin and the mess that we're in and say, I give it all to you, you take it all away, Lord. And you make us blameless on the day that you, for the day that you return. Help us as a congregation to always rejoice in you and never lose sight of you and what you are doing. Help us as a church as we keep praying into things, as we keep praying for friends, as we keep praying for our community, as we keep praying for all of the amazing things that you are doing. And help us to give thanks in everything. Even when we don't understand. Lord, those whose hearts are hurting... Just meet with them, God. And remind them that you're there. And that we can give thanks to you. Through the help of Christ Jesus, we can give thanks to you even when we don't understand, when we can't comprehend, and we don't know the answer. Draw near to us, God. You are the faithful one. So unchanging.